Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 294. Producer Megan is on the sticks. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. And Cody Saftik, hitter of a 336 to 1 PRP, is on the line. The haters, Cody, they're in shambles. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's like about time. We've had a couple close calls this year, but I try to hit one solid bonafide UFC 11 or 12 fight parlay once a year. And then this season's been, you know, up and down, but uh, kept waiting. Thing is, last week's card didn't look all that good. There wasn't a whole lot of confidence, but the pieces fell into place. This week's card looks really good, and I really like it. And so, as you know, you smell that? Mm -hmm. Someone's going to. Smells like apple pie shit to me, Paul. So uh, we got to spot out who's going to do it because there's a lot of big favorites on this card. And I can't say I overly disagree with a lot of them. So we'll figure it out together, buddy. In this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. The rematch of probably one of the fights of the year this year uh, is on Makachev taking on... Alexander Volkanov, Volkanovsky, champ versus champ. This time it's in Abu Dhabi as opposed to Perth, Australia. Everyone was a little bit surprised by Volk. I mean, not too surprised. You know the level of competition that this guy's capable of. And he played rugby against, like, you know, 250-pound men. He was 240 pounds during that time. Like, just the guy's absolutely thick, super, super strong. He outperformed what a lot of people expected, obviously, in that spot. This time, self-admittedly, he's coming off of the couch. I can understand why it's minus 300 for Makachev, plus 250 for Volkanovski. We're in Abu Dhabi. If anything's relatively close on the scorecards, I imagine the guy with the name Islam is going to get the uh, the little close little edge uh, on the judges' scorecards in that type of venue. And yeah, Volkanovski is self-admittedly coming off the couch. I believe he had like surgery recently. It all kind of adds up in my head to Volkanovski winning this time, but maybe a little bit more convincingly. What's your uh, what's your thought on this uh, rematch? Yeah, a lot of the same. So definitely the last time out, you got the 145-pound champ, the best guy at 145, maybe the best guy ever at featherweight, jumping up to take on, again, you know, one of the greatest lightweights of all time. So both guys are in their prime. Both guys are at the peak. It's a champ versus champ situation. It's a razor-close fight. Fight fans want to see it again. And everybody's excited to see it again. But yeah, I think the short notice takes a little bit away from it. With Islam Makachev, he's 31 years old. He's in the prime of his life. He's still getting better. Uh, You expect him to go on and defend the title a few more times. And him versus Charles Oliveira, even though Chucky O is my boy, he probably has his way. He probably fights somebody else. Volk probably beats somebody else. And eventually, they rematch. We we are excited. We want to see it. Yet now, it's, yeah, great, but, but what version of Volkanovski are you getting? Because not only, like you said, he's rolling off the couch and taking this one. He also had you know fairly big surgery not all that long ago. He just turned 35 years old, and that was three weeks ago. So you, do you think he didn't celebrate his birthday? knowing he didn't have anything scheduled, I don't think he's at his best. And you could say, you know, he did this against Islam the last time. He outstrike him, and he knocks him down, and he has some success, and he wins the fifth round, and he's still coming, and all that's all well and good, but he still got taken down four times. He still got controlled for eight minutes of the fight. So 
coming off the couch, it's all well and good. It's heroic. Everyone knows the guy's a badass, and he just cemented his legacy as a total badass. Not a guy that's avoiding fights, a guy that jumps into the fire. That's all well and good. But if you're not showing up prepared at the best of your abilities, the takedowns should still be there. You're still going to be controlled on the ground. And if you got to rely on that Hail Mary KO, it didn't materialize the last time, and that was you, in Perth, Australia, with a 12-week training camp and a rabid crowd and fan base behind you, and it didn't materialize there, it's going to be a lot harder against a guy in a full camp. On essentially enemy territory, it's not Russia, but basically is Russia, so Islam Makachev, same thing. Now, is the line a little bit wide considering how competitive Volkanovski was? Yeah, maybe, maybe, but because we expect the same result, I think you go Makachev. And because I have so much faith that Volkanovski truly is that badass, I think I chase that Volkanovski by, or by uh, Islam Makachev by decision again, try to get some additional value maybe. I think it goes the distance. Even on short notice, the guy's cast iron, but I don't necessarily think it goes any better than it did the last time. Yeah. Uh, Volkanovsky, or sorry, uh, Makachev by decision. Just was looking up the uh, price on that. I can't imagine it's too, too generous based on the fact that we just saw that result. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. I see like plus 185, close to plus 200. That may get a little bit of my money uh, come Saturday. Um, and then on prize picks, Makachev, three takedowns. He had four last time that they fought. I have to imagine he's going to even, he's going to approach this fight with even more. Like, I don't want to really hang out at range because this guy showed me. Like, it's all well and good to, like, show off your, your skills that you're working on. But it's like, your bread and butter are the takedowns. Uh, Volkanovski's submission defense has been amazing. I mean, sometimes getting so caught, caught so deep. His persistence to not quit, I suppose I suppose you'd say. You, you think about, like, Brian Ortega uh, having it in so, so deep. Like, most guys tap. Most guys go unconscious. Vol- Volkanovski just keeps fighting through. So I like the uh, Makachev over three takedowns over on prize picks. Promo code DOP. All right, moving on down, we've got... Hamzat Chemaev taking on Kamaru Usman. Minus 300 for Chemaev, plus 250 for Usman. Usman coming in on short notice because um, Paulo Costa had to pull out with injury. Uh, this fight's at 185 pounds. Line kind of seems a little bit wide. You have two of welterweights, probably greatest wrestlers that we've seen, going up against each other, and... It does seem a little bit wide considering Kamar Usman and his accolades being the former welterweight champion. But Hamzat's been getting ready for a big Paulo Costa in this spot. And Usman is making his debut at 185 here. Size should be like Hamzat's had time to put on size, right? He's known this has been coming up, whereas Usman is probably just not going to cut weight. Hasn't really put on extra muscle, to my knowledge. Um, another spot that maybe the line seems a little bit wide, but I think Hamzat absolutely cruises here. He can use the wrestling if he wants to, but he's going to have reach advantages. And there is the bit of a question of, is Kamaru Usman's durability in question at this point in his career? So Chamaev rolls, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, okay, so in some similarity to the main event, it's like, I'm so pumped up for this fight. I'm so excited to see Usman at 185. It's like, without the full camp, you know, it, it diminishes a little bit. But uh, I'm actually going to disagree with you. I'm going to take Kamaru Usman. Ooh. First of all, no reach advantage going towards Kamzat Chumayev. It's a 76-inch versus 75-inch. So slight one inch towards 
the Nigerian nightmare, Kamar Usman. But yeah, I think there's a lot to like here. First of all, you're getting one of the greatest welterweights of all time. He's got all that back class. He's on two-fight losing streak. But if you go back to the first Leon Edwards fight, I, I suppose it's the second Leon Edwards fight, but two fights back for him, right? And he's winning the fight, right? The head kick in the late in the fifth round knocks him out. That tarnishes everything. He has a good rematch with Leon Edwards in the UK. Uh, tough fight you know, close fight, loses, and all of a sudden we're ready to write him off. Like, I'm not so sure about that. Had he not gotten head kicked, they would have never even booked a Leon Edwards trilogy fight. Uh, it, it never happens. Like, that part of history never exists. No one's questioning him. So I do think his skills are still very good. He is still a very good striker. He's got a nasty jab on him. Uh, very high-level guy. Spent time with, whether it be Clef FC, whether it be over with Trevor Whitman in Colorado. The guy's always at the highest level. You know he's got the wrestling. You know he's all that got that good stuff. Perfect. So as you mentioned, it's two welterweights fighting each other. He's not going up to middleweight and taking on some monster middleweight. He's going to middleweight and taking on a monster welterweight, a guy that also couldn't really make the weight anymore. So they're both in similar situations. But Kamzat Chemaev has done nothing to prove himself, Paul. This is a guy that looks like an absolute world beater. But how do you know? So he comes to the UFC and he smashes a bunch of subpar competition. He's taking on John Phillips. He's taking on Riz McKee. He's going to smash these guys, right? Gerald Mearshart, 17 seconds, smash. All good. Very low-level competition. The Gilbert Burns fight. Now, this one's the one that you obviously got to focus on because that's the first time he runs into anything that could be considered resistance. It's the first time he actually fights a guy that's actually decent. And for the record, Gilbert Burns is a former lightweight. He's a guy that was a big lightweight that had moved up to welterweight. He's 5'10 with a 71-inch reach. He was giving up three inches of height and four inches of reach, and he dog-walked him. He dog-walked him. And for the first time, you see Chemayev's wrestling is not super elite. This guy's not an Olympian. He's not some national champion. He's a guy that can take down guys who don't know how to wrestle. He's a fine wrestler. Don't get me wrong. I'm not meaning to sound like I'm shitting on him. The guy is an excellent wrestler. But where did he get God status? Where At what point was it like he can take down anybody? Because to me, what's going to happen here is that he's got excellent wrestling, and so does Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman has got very stout takedown defense. Go ahead and try to take him out. Not going to happen. So now you got to strike with him. Well, how good's his striking? He got battered around by Gilbert Burns. He was tooth and nail in a three-round fight with Gilbert Burns. Not great. Not great. So now it moves on to my next point. Gilbert Burns had actually fought Kamaru Usman. They're buddies. They're training partners. Uh, Gilbert Burns had given Usman one hell of a first round. But as Gilbert's known to do, he's not a three-round guy. And he's sure as shit not in a five-round guy. So the longer the fight goes, he falls apart and he crumbles. And yet, he looked like a three-round guy dog-walking Chumayev all over the place. So I think Uzma's just, he's a level above. He conserves his energy. He finds his spots. He's going to jab away. He's going to find the mark. He stops those takedowns and he forces Chemayev to strike. Then he's in a favorable position. Is the chink in the armor that is he's starting to get chinny? He got head kicked. A nasty head kick he never saw coming. And since then, yeah, he's getting older. Every fighter is going to break eventually. But if the narrative is that he's done, I will ride that narrative all day because the three underdogs that we did manage to hit last week were all done fighters. Darren Elkins is cooked. Guy's 37 years old. He can't fight anymore. You know, Viviana Rose, 37 years old as well. She's on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, she's no good. Edson Barbosa, he's 38 years old. How's he going to compete? So if we can get good plus money on the narrative that they're done, yeah, I'd have to see them be done. And in those three instances, not done. In Usman's instance, not done. And for Chemayev, since the Burns fight, he's fought one time, it was against a guy that took the fight on six hours notice, Kevin Holland. Uh, huge debate about weight. Is the guy kidding? Is he taking it seriously? And there's another issue about him. He's got a million dollars now. And he's kind of a playboy. 
He likes to mess around. He's a jokester. He likes to hang out with Darren Till. He likes to do a little bit of partying. He leaves Russia, denounces their flag, and takes the Swedish flag. Then he denounces Sweden, and now he's taking the, uh, is it called, what would it be called? The United Emirates, I've been there, I should know this. The United Arab Emirates flag? He's rocking that now? Yeah, so like, where's the loyalty? Where's the legions? Canada's all immigrants. Do you think they just rock the Canadian flag? No. You rock your home country's flag. But he bounces. This guy's bouncing. He's having a good time. And he's got a dope social media. But, like, at what point did he beat all of the contenders and become the GOAT? Because this money line against Kamaru Usman? Well, I would have to be sold that this guy's one of the greatest of all times. And we're not there yet. We might be. If he dices up Usman and goes on to beat a couple more guys, yeah, it's there. It's there, baby. But it's not there yet. So this money line to me just doesn't make sense. And for that, listen, it's a Dogger Pass podcast. I want to take a dog or pass, so give me Kamaru Usman. I'm really torn here, Cody, because I was thinking about offering you a three to one shoey bet. I would not. But take then that. I don't. Oh, you mean you mean you mean you you'll do three if if Usman wins? Yeah, I'll take. I take. I was considering it. I was considering it, but I don't like stepping in front of Cody Saftik picking up picking plus two fifty underdogs. So maybe no, I'm not doing it, Megan. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not falling for that trap. Uh, I'm a little bit scared. I won't be betting Chimaev, uh, and uh, I'm going to completely cower down and just move on to the next fight so that we can pretend that this never happened. Moving on down, we've got An- Mag- Magomed Ankalaev taking on Johnny Walker, minus 360 for Ankalaev, plus 280 for Johnny Walker. What, what's your take here, bud? Okay, yeah, so I think Ankalaev is goat. I think he is God. I think he's got all the tools. And these are the kind of lines that I overplay the guy and I lose a bunch of money. But I am still going to play him. But I'm a little bit cautious here because as much as I love Magomed Ankalaev, he seems to just fight right to his opponent's level. Like, if you're good, he'll fight you right to that level. If you're bad, he fights you right to that level. Now, we've profited from him, but man, it's been greasy as hell. He's fighting Nikita Krylov, lots of greasy points, goes the distance with a guy that He's more of a six or seven minute fighter at best and loses the first round to Nikita Krylov. Interesting. His fight with Thiago Santos goes the full five. Everybody expected him to win that one easily. He's a five to one favorite and he got hella rocked in the fourth round by Thiago Santos. Got caught standing directly in front of him. The guy's got excellent wrestling. The guy's got excellent ground control. The guy's got good cardio. He's got all these things, but he tends to stand directly in front of his opponent and throw ones, one twos, one twos. it's not enough and it's super subjective but the close fight with krylov relatively second and 30 takes over relatively close fight with krylov a relatively close with tiago santos fights he's a massive favorite in yeah it's like who's who's gonna who's gonna point the the flaw out now the anthony smith fight well i don't think anthony smith's really all that good but again anthony smith hurts his leg so it wasn't like it was some great performance yeah it looks good that you got the guy out of there eight minutes into the round but a, a journeyman fighter who's had his best day, who hurt his leg. So I, I don't know how much credit I give that one. And then Jan Blakowicz, of course, he's a massive favorite, and everybody rides him. And I'm super high on this guy. We talk about him all the time. You and I have been saying this guy's the future champion for years, years. Nobody wants to fight him. He fights once or twice a year at best. And then finally, it's like his his, his, his moment, and he gets Jan Blakowicz, and he just, like, shits the bed again. I thought he won, but, like, man, not enough. Two takedowns, you know. Less than 80 significant strikes landed over five. They give it a draw. Jan thought Ankalaev won. I thought Ankalaev won. Ankalaev seemed indifferent to it. It's just like, where's where's the tenacity? Where's mm. the I want to be a champion? Where's the I'm willing to go the extra mile? So Johnny Walker, listen, I'm not very big on him. 
But one thing with Walker is that he's getting lately. He's not that I need to knock you out in the first round guy. He'll stand at range and he's cool with throwing one twos. And if Ankalaev decides, let's just do that all night, which is what he pretty much usually does, it, it, it could go bad. Um, Walker, same thing happened when he fought Thiago Santos. He's like, it's supposed to be over in one single round. They're both absolute bangers, and they just sat there and traded one-twos all night. And it's a slow pace, and it's going to go 15 minutes. And even though you've got two banger-light heavyweights with all the skills in the world that can make a crazy good fight, they both respect each other, and they're going to spar at distance for 15 full minutes. So the money line is huge on Ankalaev. He should be able to have to go and, and completely wash him off the map. I'm just not fully convinced he's going to fight that way. So why take him? Why is this not a dogger pass as well? Well, two reasons. One, the wrestling, baby. Just get back to it. You know he can do it. You know this is the easiest way to neutralize a guy like Johnny Walker. So why not just do it? Do it for me once in the first. Do it for me once in the second. Run away in the third if you need be. Don't care. But just use the wrestling a little bit. And then, uh, boom, it's in Abu Dhabi. So if this thing's close and it goes to decision, you got to think they're giving it to Magomed and Kaliyev, right? So unless there's some funny business going on and someone there's got a lot of money against Ankalaya because this would be one juicy ticket to fade his ass. Uh, if it's just like a straight, fair, cold fight, I think Ankalaya edges this out on by scorecards if need be. If he catches him, great. But the way he's been fighting, I think he's fighting to win points decisions and not entertain the crowd. And I can't fault him for that. That's the way you should fight. But he's leaving these close, these fights closer than they need to be. So that's why I don't love the money line. But he is still the pick. Yeah, I mean, I was on him. I believe, like, inside the distance against Santos in that fight. And I was screaming at my TV. And I've been a very, very big-time supporter of him the entire way, calling for him to be the champion of the division. And, yeah, he, uh, you, you kind of nailed it. It's like he plays – he fights to the level of his competition, and you don't know what he's going to go – he doesn't necessarily take the path of least resistance. And that's what scares me here is, like, he's giving up – Seven inches in the reach department. Johnny Walker, if they're hanging out at range, throwing one twos, like Walker's gonna land and you're gonna whiff from that range. Um, I think it's dogger pass just on the pure fact that I don't know Ankalaev is gonna come right out of the gate and, and, and shoot for takedowns right out of the gate. Um, yeah, at this price, I mean, Walker inside the distance is like plus 425. Doesn't seem wild to me. Um, maybe it'll be a little sprinkle on my ticket, but something makes me a little bit nervous about it. Just like you, you play with your food too much, and then eventually you get eaten. Um, that could be, you know, the demise of Ankalaev if he doesn't stick to his game plan. And I have no faith that he's going to stick to his game plan just because he's done it time and time again now. Maybe we just overrate his wrestling. That That is definitely a possibility that... He's not as as dominant of a wrestler as some of the other Dagestani fighters that we know and love. I don't know. Um, but yeah, at this price, I think it's pretty clear dogger pass. Moving on down, we've got Ikram Alaskarov taking on Warley Alves. Minus 600 for Ikram, plus 425 for Warley. Who you got? Yeah, again, if there's no funny business, I think Ikram goes out there and has his way, man. If he wants to keep the fight standing, which I wouldn't necessarily suggest, he's going to out-volume. He's got decent power. Worley Alves' chin, not like he's got a bad chin, but you saw in that Jeremiah Wells fight. If you want to just sit and throw heat, he's not going to react all that well. I think that plus the ability for Askarov to throw in the takedown, 
he has his way. And Worley Alves was once an ultimate fighter, Brazil champion. He's still only 31 years old. BJJ black belt, black belt in Muay Thai. Seemingly very explosive, very athletic, but he's always been a front runner. Needs to get you out of there in the first five minutes or he just quietly falls apart down the stretch. He's one in four, in his, he's like one in three in his last four fights. The win over Munir Lezez, he just melts him in two and a half minutes. The losses is when you can extend him. Randy Brown subs him in the second round. Nobody saw that one coming because he's a, BJJ Black Belt, and he's very strong. And, like, Randy Brown caught him in a triangle choke, of all things. The Jeremiah Wells fit, fight, as I mentioned, Wells just bum-rushes him in the first, and then bum-rushes him in the second. They're both getting tired. Wells just wants it more than Alves, and that's kind of the knock on him. It's like when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and he almost never gets going, which ultimately means he's just not that tough. Last fight, of course, Nicholas Dalby. This one seemed a little bit closer, but of course, when you look at the numbers, yeah, split decision. When you look at the numbers, he gets outstruck 119 to 66. He got the one takedown. The volume isn't there because if he throws tons of volume, he's going to gas out. So what he needs to do is throw a smaller portion size of power shots and hope to get you out of there. But against Aliskarov, yeah, maybe one of them lands and he gets him out of there. If he does not, and I'm trending towards he does not, it's not going to go good. Aliskarov, put it this way, right? Everybody thinks uh, Chimaev is 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 goat, and he he beat Aliskarov. He knocked him out two and a half minutes, uppercut to the face. Okay, that's the fight to make. Aliskarov wants the rematch. He wants to fight him. They're both scheduled on the same card. Both of their opponents get hurt last minute, and Chimaev's like no, because nobody knows who this guy is. He's rugged. He's tough. He's thirty one years old. He really wants this. I would rather fight Kamaru Usman, who's super high profile, former champion, better payday. If I lose, no big deal. He's a former champion. I'll be back. Like, that's the fight that you want. The fact that guys don't want to fight him. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. They recognize the same thing I recognize. He's a legitimate talent. Doesn't have much of a name yet. So most people are going to look to avoid him. But in Morley Alves's case, he's on a two-fight losing streak. The UFC hasn't booked him. You got to jump at these opportunities to maybe go out there and do something. And he's replacing Nasruddin Imovov. Mm-hmm who's a lot better than he is. So the bottom line is, I'm getting an Ikram Alaskarov who got ready for a better fighter. He's got a full camp. Now he's getting Worley Alves short notice. Alves doesn't have a great gas tank to begin with. He's on a two-fight losing streak. He's one and three over his last four. The writing's on the wall for him. He's going to come out here and look to bang. That's it. Again, if that doesn't materialize in the first three minutes, it's it's Ikram all day, right? So they, that's got to be the play. Minus 600, ne- you never feel comfortable with those, but... Yeah, he he he's the he's the chosen favorite. I can't disagree with it. The only one little problem I'm having with it is he's top ticket material, and the price tag certainly suggests that. But like when I bet top ticket guys, and I know their opponent is only going to come out and swing hams for three and a half minutes to maybe five minutes, uh, your your butt cheeks will be clenched up. But as soon as that bell goes for the first, or as soon as Ikram Alaskarov gets that first takedown and ends up on top, sigh of relief because that's that's when we're going to be in the driver's seat. Yeah, no, I, I don't really have too much to add to that, to be perfectly honest. Just, I mean, Alves giving up a lot of size, moving up to 185 on short notice here. Three inches in the reach department, but um, yeah, it, it's a uh, time and time again. We've seen this guy really, he can go the full distance if he's taking on somebody with like basically no finishing ability. The Dolby fight, obviously, last time out. It's just like somebody with a little bit more a little bit more tenacity, a little bit more power in their strikes. You can get you can get him out of there. Like he's looking for the door. 
He slows down considerably. Maybe the not having to cut will help him out a little bit in the gas tank department, but he's giving up a ton of strength um, to the natural middleweight and Ikram Alaskarov here. So um, Alaskarov is the pick, but I mean, at the number and and what is available even on the props, it just doesn't feel like something I'm going to get to. Uh, on my betting card this week. Moving on down, we got Saeed Nirmagomedov taking on Muin Gafarov. Minus 205 for Saeed, plus 175 for Gafarov. What are your, what's your take here? Yeah, I like Saeed. I like Saeed quite a bit. So again, here's a no actual relation to Khabib Nurmagomedov, but he's rocking that last name, buddy, and he's trying to do them proud to the best of his abilities. But he's a pretty solid fighter, man. He's been continuously getting better. He has little wrinkles to his game. He's somebody that can make in-fight uh, changes and change the game plan and you know adapt on the fly and that's what I liked about him because that's a high ring IQ fighter and that's a talented fighter his fight against Cody Stamen he catches him in the guillotine choke Stamen known for his durability but again catches on that little shot the Douglas D'Andrage fight that one's kind of a little bit greasier he's taking on a big big old Brazilian powerhouse but made the adjustments uses speed striking for a guy that can wrestle he's got some nasty striking too he'll throw a lot of diverse different strikes spinning back kicks spinning a lot of spinning techniques you know throws the kicks throws a nice left hand as well so i like that he's able to blend it all together that saeed kakramanov fight right this is where it starts where i start to kind of have some faith in him kakramanov throws him all over the place in the first round he got taken out five times in the first round and it looked like kakramanov was just gonna have his way with him in the second round, he adjusts that he's like, he's going to throw and I'm he's going to shoot in and I'm going to snatch up the guillotine choke. Snatches up the guillotine choke. So he's moving up the ladder. The last fight, Jonathan Martinez. So we just saw Jonathan Martinez. He was part of the 11 fight banger this weekend. He did his job. He's a very talented individual and a very excellent striker. What you see in that fight is Saeed Magomedov takes him down three times and he outstruck him 47 to 38, plus two submission attempts, plus five minutes of control time. And he lost. A unanimous decision. People online widely thought that Saeed got robbed in that fight. It was a close fight. But you're seeing a guy that can compete with some of the best guys of the division. That's what I fully expect him out of him. Mwin Gafarov, he's more of a just got lucky because he starts his, or not just got lucky, sorry. He, he's on um, the contender series against Chan, Chad Anhelijer, right? Mm-hmm. He's got all the advantages over Chad Anhelijer. The, the Canadian guy's 36 years old. Right, he started off his pro career one in five. He's not expected to do much, and he's a five to one underdog against Win Gafarov, who takes him down a bunch in the first round. He gets those early takedowns. He's a strong guy. Tajikistan fighter, very very strong. Gets those early. Then all of a sudden, he falls apart. He's one and done with the striking. Tries to club you with the big overhand. Uh, he d- can't get any takedowns down the stretch, and he ends up getting outstruck forty seven to thirty one with the one knockdown. So even though we got five takedowns, he landed thirty one significant strikes flat out gassed out and got beat out by a 36 year old canadian journeyman so that doesn't scream good times wins a few in the regional scene strong guy physical guy and then they bring him in against john castanada to me it was much of the same john castanada took him down three times he outstruck him he backed him up he landed a knockdown the fight did go the distance we know that that uh muin gafarov is a strong physical guy but he was a powerhouse in one championship he was the man back before he came to north america and at this point it seems to me like he's struggling a little bit. When I look at Saeed Nurmagomedov, I think here's a guy with better wrestling than Chad Adnan better wrestling than John Castaneda. If he wants to mix in the takedowns, great. That would be a good way to cause Gafarov to 
uh, overexert himself early. A lot of these wrestling exchanges, a lot of these scrambles, that's going to cause him to tire, and he's known to tire. But the speed advantage goes to Saeed, the striking advantage goes to Saeed, the volume goes to Saeed, and his wrestling is good enough to just stuff the Gafarov takedowns if need be, pull this guy to deeper waters, and then drown him in those deeper waters. When Gafarov's not beating Chad Analyzer or John Castaneda, how do you think he would do against a Cody Stamen or a Sayukub Kakramanov? Or any of these guys, Jonathan Martinez, you, you think he'd be relatively competitive? Because I don't. I really don't. And this is a better price tag than a lot of these other big favorites. So he's somebody I'm probably going to key in on this week. Gafarov's super, super tough to finish. I don't, I don't really have too much to add on to your breakdown there. But I think Saeed, by decision, is how I would approach this one. Um, Saeed does have like a little bit of like tricky... You know, jiu-jitsu skills has, has caught some like decent little submissions and stuff like that. But uh, Gafarov has historically been very, very difficult to finish. I think the takedowns 100% will be there for Saeed. He's a little tricky one sometimes with the takedowns. Obviously, the Kakramanov fight, uh, you, you learned real early in that fight who was the better wrestler. And it persisted throughout the rest of the fight. So, I mean, I guess we'll probably find out in the first little exchange there, but I'm expecting Saeed Nurmagomedov to be the uh, the better wrestler on top of being a lot faster. Uh, the biggest problem with Gafarov is just, uh, yeah, the volume's just never really there. Um, and yet, he got five takedowns in that um, in, in those losses, or that, that loss to Annalegger, he had, what, five takedowns, and... I mean, you're getting five takedowns and you're still not able to sway the judges on uh, on the scorecards. It's a pretty tough look against a low, low level of competition. So, yeah, Saeed, Saeed by decision, plus 230 is out there. May get a look from me this week. We've got Mohamed Makayev taking on Tim Elliott. Makayev is a minus 430 favorite. Elliott can be had for plus 330. Who you got here, buddy? My finger is just hovering right on the Tim Elliott button, and I just really mm. want to push down on it. If it was in America, specifically like Las Vegas or something, almost certainly this button would be getting pressed right now. For whatever reason, totally conspiracy theory, totally tinfoil hat. I don't know if I'm going to get a fair shake, and it's like making me a little bit nervous, but there's so much plus money available here on Tim Elliott. I would be a fool not to take it, right? Certainly, at least as far as a pick goes on this show, then why not take it? And uh, I'm not getting a fake Russian who's opting to represent some other country's flag again. But yeah, that's actually what I'm going to fade again here in Muhammad Makayev. So Makayev is another one of these guys that because he's got such a dope looking record, because he was, you know, undefeated as an amateur, 22-0 and or something. He's undefeated as a pro. The guy just looks the part. It's easy to get behind these kids, right? It's easy to just be like, oh, this guy's the next big thing. But, like, what has he really done to prove it? So when he came to the UFC, of course, if you look at some of those brave CF fights he fought prior to coming over, oh, man, there's a lot to be desired. Like, he's young. He's 20 years old. He's sure he had 22 amateur fights, but he fought a whole lot of guys in England or in Europe that had absolutely no idea how to wrestle. This man is Russian. He knows exactly how to wrestle. He used that to his advantage. But as you start to move up the ladder, yeah, these guys know how to wrestle as well. So can you rely on your other stats? Can your other your attributes get you through? At least with Chemayev in the Gilbert Burns fight, you at least saw from him, he can strike. He can strike. But he's not the greatest striker. Makayev, I don't even know if the kid can strike. Because literally this has been his run in the UFC. Smokes dirt and out of there, flying knee into a guillotine choke. That's pretty dope. But that's like a one-hit or quitter move. Happened really quick. Flash in the pan. The next fights, he gets Charles Johnson, who's got zero takedown defense. He took down Charles Johnson 12 times. He landed 
12 significant strikes over the 15 minutes. 12 takedowns, 12 significant strikes. There's no ground and pound. There's no real submission attempt. He just takes you down over and over and over again, which is fine. But in stateside, they're not even really counting that anymore. They're looking for damage, which he's not doing, which doesn't really matter because he's in Abu Dhabi here. But but the, that fight was like, oh, okay, bit of a head scratcher. Didn't really do much with the takedowns, but he exploited the shittiest defensive guy, defensive takedown guy in the division to the tune of 12 takedowns. Fair enough. The Malcolm Gordon fight. He struggled tooth and nail against Malcolm Gordon. Yep. He got the six takedowns and 21 significant strikes. Oh shit, career best for the kid, right? Still super low. All of a sudden, Malcolm Gordon stuffs a few takedowns. This kid looks tired. This kid looks way out of place getting hit. He does not fluid as a striker. He needs to rely on the wrestling. He drops the second round to Malcolm Gordon. Another journeyman level Canadian, by the way. I'm kidding. Malcolm Gordon, good guy. But if you're watching this fan, you're a hardcore. If you're hardcore, then you know exactly what I'm saying. Makayev struggles tooth and nail with Malcolm Gordon, loses the second round. Momentum's against him. He's like even money, slight underdog on the live betting market. He put his big boy pants on. I can't take that away from him. He went out there. He got the takedown. He got the rear naked choke. Or Yeah, he got the, sorry, it was an armbar submission. And thank God he did grab that armbar. Because again, he wasn't looking specific, you know, all that good. So if you're looking at trends, so he didn't look great against Charles Johnson, right? He got 12, the, the 12 significant strikes. It was low. Then he doesn't look good against Malcolm Gordon. He loses the second round. Damn near loses the fight, but snatches up that armbar. He's losing the third round until he gets the armbar for the record. Uh, and, and got taken down by Malcolm Gordon, a Canadian Muay Thai fighter. So how, how good's his wrestling? Clearly he can shoot a takedown. Can he defend a takedown? Because I fell into the Ronnie Lawrence trap where I thought Ronnie Lawrence was one hell of a wrestler. He scored 23 takedowns in his first three UFC fights. How many did he give up? Zero. His last two fights in the UFC, he got absolutely ragdolled by Sayukub Kakramanov. He got tossed around by Daniel Argueta. It was a no contest, and he retired from the sport after that. So that's my lesson there is that you can take guys down, but like, how do you defend them when the going gets hot? And so far, Makayev has not shown any of that. Philo, it's much of the same thing. He gets four takedowns. He lands 16 significant strikes. And yet in the third round, he had his kneecap broken by a knee bar attempt from a guy he's a six to one favorite over. Like what performance other than that debut against Cody Durden? Is it like, damn, that's the guy. I I don't know that I've seen it necessarily. And when I think about Tim Elliott, his entire career has been stepping up to the plate, fighting the best guys and giving them a hell of a go. He wanted round off Demetrius Johnson. He won the ultimate fighter. That win over to Gear Ulimbekov is a better win than Makayev would be, in my humble opinion. The guy's been there. He's done that. Now he's a little bit old. He's got a super erratic style. His cardio is 50-50. Him at his best, he's dog walking guys, and he will go 15 all day. Him at his worst, he starts to get lethargic in there and kind of flop around a little bit. But he's a man on his mission. I don't want to get into his personal life, but his, you know, his wife, Gina Mazzani. Oh, Gina Mazzani. <laughs> I don't even want to get into his personal life. Anyways, he seems like a man on a mission. He's got like a fire lid under his ass. He wants to prove both of them wrong. Kevin Kroon, the, the new man, has got a BKFC fight coming up. And Tim Elliott's got this MMA fight coming up. It's high stakes. He's a big underdog. He thrives in big underdog type situations. He fights to his at his best when he's not expected to do much. And I got a feeling he's at least going to go there and fight like a dog and fight for my dollar and give me the best he has. And quite honestly, that could be enough for this kind of plus money. Now, last but not least with Tim Elliott, Tim Elliott can wrestle. Beyond that, he probably will get taken down a few times from Makayev just being young and being very athletic and being very strong. The thing with Tim Elliott is he scrambles. 
scramble, 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 scramble. It's not enough to just get the takedown because you're going to work the whole time. Charles Johnson accepted the takedown and there was 12 of them. Why was there 12 of them? Because Makayev couldn't hold him down. Johnson just kept getting back up. If Elliot gets taken down, that's cool. Elliot probably gets back up at some point. And as long as he can make Makayev work and try to tire this kid out, his striking is so difficult to get ready for because it's like Dominic Cruz had he just smoked a hit of meth before he got in there. Like, he's here. He's there. Everything's overhand. Everything's loopy. And I think that's why he gave Ulimbekov such a hard time. You look at his wins. Uh, Victor Altamirano, he just the six takedowns. He ma- mauls him. Tagir Ulimbekov took him down three times, had a knockdown over him. Even the Matus Nikolaev fight, which I thought he lost for the record, he outstruck him and took him down, thought he was up two rounds. The media thought he was up two rounds. It was 1-1. And James Krause, who had bet money on the other side, was like, don't worry, Timmy, you're up two rounds. Just hold on and lose the third, dog. Just hold on, Timmy. It was like the worst advice. It makes you wonder why James Krause told him, hold on and don't do anything. Lose the third round, Timmy. Good times. What I'm saying is, he can perform at a high level. He's got the collegiate wrestling. He's got the the pace. He's got the volume. He's got the superior striking skill set. And in a 50-50 fight, which I is what I probably rate this to be, I still think I favor Tim Elliott. But because you're giving me this kind of plus money on Tim Elliott, it's like, oh, baby. And then right as my finger's about to hit that button, it's like Tim probably doesn't submit him and Tim probably not knocking him out. So Tim's going to have to beat the absolute crap out of him for 15 minutes to get the fair shake on this one. Or they're going to be like, oh, well, he got five takedowns and you got four. Like, ah, that's what I don't need. I want you to pick who won the fight, not the wrestling match. Because Ulenbeck, sorry, uh, you got a kid here who might go out and land. Makaev might land 15, 20 strikes. What's his career high? 27? 27 significant strikes landed is a career high over four UFC fights, three of which went the distance, two of which went the distance. Ah, no, no, sorry. One of them went the distance. He got a third round. Two of them went the distance and he submitted Malcolm Gordon third round, right? What I'm saying is in all these fights, it's not like they're mostly done early other than the Durden fight. They mostly go on. He doesn't land anything. So if he fought, and we can move on from this fight, we've been talking too long, but if he fought to gear Lumbekov or Matus Nikolaou, or Brandon Royval, or Askar Askarov, or Davidson Figueredo, or Demetrius Johnson, or Joseph Benavidez. Would Makayev have beaten any of those guys? I'm saying no. So, yeah, we did the same thing last week, I think, with Darren Elkins. We took that experience and that grittiness and that superior competition level, and shit, I'll take another shot on one. So we'll go Tim Elliott. Absolutely love it. I mean, this is kind of a lot of people out there. They've been waiting for the Makayev fade. Like the books always give this guy so much credit. And a lot of these fights have been very, very tooth or nail. They've been very, very close. And that's not to say that like three, four years down the line, the kid's so young um, that yeah. he that that oh, yeah. he can't round out this skill set. Step on step on the gas a little bit. Get a little bit more. Um, like he's gonna need more volume. Like his wrestling isn't the Charles Johnson fight is a great example. It's just like, well, you took him down twelve times, yes, but you know he got up. That means that he got up eleven, right? Like you, you have to factor that in. That's just like the the work. He's definitely a work in progress on the feet. The lines on him are just absurd every single week. This was like minus six hundred yesterday, so. Somebody obviously, uh, you know, somebody with some influence touted it and, and some money came in on Elliot. But like if you shop around, you're going to find better than the plus 330 that uh, that we outlined on the show here. I, 
the, another little idea I had when you were talking about, you know, we're in Abu Dhabi. There could be some greasiness or, you know, the, I mean, they usually bring the same judges, but who knows? Yeah, a little bit of the, little bit of money could be exchanged for some services. I'm not saying, but I'm saying, um, Sometimes they, some books have like that split decision prop, like not that you have to pick a side. You just say the fight ends by split decision. And those are like usually pretty wide. They'll be like six, seven, eight to one props. Like I could see that being kind of good. It's like, even though Tim, you know, wins probably outright lands, better strikes, gets up, mixes, mixes in some takedowns. And like the wrestling ends up being relatively close between the two of them, but we get greased. You could kind of see like, oh, you know, Makayev by split decision in a fight that he probably wasn't supposed to win. And uh, and that type of prop would cover you on that front as well. But I'll be adding Elliot. Elliot by split. I'll see what the price is, is available to me when I get it. And then I'll see if I, I don't know if I'll have any of those split decision props. Some of the, uh, you know, some of the more le- like the legal sports books tend to have those split decision. Like any fighter wins by split decision. I think this fight like has like this, like it, it has the shakeup of something like that. Like I could definitely see a split decision between Makayev and Elliot here. Um, but yeah, Elliot's got a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience. And we've seen holes in Makayev's game and they're lining him like, like he's a sure thing. So this is the biggest step up of his career. He better be ready. Cause Tim will be like, Tim already fought Tagir Ulambekov and we saw Kind of what I think this fight will kind of play out as, but he was able to lend 79, 79 significant strikes in that. It's like Makayev hasn't shown us that he's capable of landing the 90 significant strikes that Makayev landed and still lost that fight. So, yeah, man on a mission, war Tim, and we're all rooting for him after, you know, you know, his personal life, what happened there. Absolute shambles. Happy Kevin Kroom doesn't have a job inside the promotion. Moving on down, we've got Trevor Peak taking on Muhammad Yaya. Minus 160 for Cody's boy, Trevor Peak. Plus 140 for Muhammad Yaya. Um, it's Trevor Peak fight week, Cody. Um, who, who you got here? Seems like some money has yeah, just I'll- came in on Peak. Like, he was like minus yeah, 130 yesterday. People are in on Peak. Yeah, I'm in on peak two. I want he's my boy. I'm not going to go against my boy. But also, it's not like the UFC were like, hey, man, let's throw you a world beater. Or some guy with excellent wrestling credentials. They're like, hey, this guy's likely going to stand in front of you. Why don't you go have a bang with him? It's like, if you want to bang with Trevor Peak, he's going to be in it. He's going to be in it. I think he's going to be in it. I think the first loss was good for him, right? Because you need to be able to go back to the drawing board and say, what did we do wrong? And he did a whole lot of things wrong. But he also does a whole lot of things right. He's got that dog in him. He's got a cast iron chin. I don't think anybody's questioning his ability to take a punch. You've seen him rock. You've seen him dazed. But you've not seen him knocked out unconscious. The guy can take on a hell of a shot. He's very durable. He's got that ruggedness towards him. And his cardio on the regional scene is because he generally just overwhelms guys. You haven't have to see him dig deep and go 15. But again, in his last fight against Chepe Mariscal, he went the distance. He dug deep when he needed to. He got taken down four times. He gave up five and a half minutes of top control, and he worked his way back up. He was outgunned there pretty much across the board. One, Mariscal's a judo black belt. He's also like a BJJ black belt or brown belt, I believe, anyways. He's got the sharper technique. He's got the better cardio because he trains at Colorado. And he's the chief training partner for Justin Gaethje. So being tough and rugged and coming forward, that's something he deals with all the time. Those are not great fights for Trevor P. Even though it was a banger and it was a fun fight, technically, 
not the best fights for. But here's the thing. Chepe Mariscal shows one win or one loss by knockout. And if you watch that loss by knockout, it's a super early stoppage. So what I'm getting at is this guy got one hell of a chin and he took the bombs. That's something that nobody else at Trevor Peaks fought to this point has been able to do. Normally he touches you at some point, maybe not in the first, maybe it's the second. At some point when you fight this man, he's going to hit you because he's that kind of guy. It's going to be a fight. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to know you're in a fight. So Mariscal takes the shots. But most guys aren't going to. And I'm thinking Yaya's probably not going to. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe not. Does have one knockout loss on his career. It was in a minute and nine seconds. But it was seven years ago. So we won't even talk about that one. The other two losses that we see are both by submission. And if you watch those fights, if you have the luxury of doing so, he striking is okay. He mostly relies on one-twos. He's not an overly athletic guy. He's not an overly uh, quick guy. And he's not overly strong. He is somewhat technical, especially for the region in which he's competing. But as soon as he gets taken down, he's pretty much lost. So I'm not worried about him coming out here and using some great grappling skill set to take down Trevor P. He's not comfortable as a grappler. What he likes to do is he likes to strike. Now, I had booked his last opponents, Sawil Tahiri, a few times. I, I'm, I'm very uh, familiar with him. And again, he's more of a generalist. He's going to go through the motions. He had a little more wrestling to fall back on. And if you watch that fight, Yaya is a little bit quicker. He stays to the outside. He lands his one-twos. He stuffs a few takedowns. But there's nothing in there that screams this is an exceptional fighter as much as he's local. They're there. They're going to have him on. Every jurisdiction they go to, every market they go to, if they go to Indonesia, there will be some Indonesian guy on the card. Where did he come from? Nobody knows, but he will be there. Yaya's on a bit of a winning streak, but nothing in those performances suggests this is a premier quality martial artist. He's 29 years old, so he's not some young prospect. He's simply, it's the United Arab Emirates. They're in the UAE. He's a UAE fighter. You're going to put him on the card. So why be worried? Smell that, judges? This thing's not going to the judges. So I don't got to worry about that. I honestly think he comes in. He tries to play it cool. He plays the one-two. He stays at the outside. His jab's working. He's hitting Trevor Peak. He's feeling good. Trevor's trying to get his rhythm going. Trevor's trying to cut off the ring. It's a big cage. So this Yaya's going to have a whole lot of room to work with. But at some point, backpedaling is going to get tiring some. At some point, he's going to need to throw that one and follow it up with that two. And the second he tries to engage with them, Peak's going to put hands on his ass, put him away. So uh, I also think Trevor Peak could take him down. The thing is, is I don't think Trevor Peak has got great top control yet. So, like, even though he can get takedowns, they're mostly muscle, and the guy's probably going to get back up. So don't exert your energy. Save your energy and just blow up on him with these six-punch combinations of yours. Hammer fists from every angle, left hooks, right hooks, shuffle uppercuts. He puts that kind of beating on a guy. He'll be okay. And, of course, Trevor Peak's teammate, Torrance Finney, just got totally robbed, sickeningly robbed of a contract on Contender Series. But uh, really good things going down at their team and Gogi over in Tennessee. These guys are legit. They take it very, very, very seriously. Very professional group of guys. And uh, yeah, he's got Torrance Finney working in with him in the gym on the daily. His cardio is going to get better. As I said, I think that loss will be good for him in retrospective. And the UFC's done a fairly good job of just giving him a one-dimensional guy who's going to stand in front of him. And doesn't got a ton of power. Doesn't have a plan B grappling to fall back on. Is not Chepe Mariscal is the bottom line probably gets folded to something at some point. So I think you go Trevor Peek. And to me, it would be fairly astonishing if Trevor Peek was to win a decision just because the way he fights, uh, possible, possible. But I'm thinking it's probably going to be an under two and a half, maybe an under one and a half. Definitely a fight doesn't see round three kind of situation. And Trevor Peek just lands on him at some point and puts him away. Yeah, the under You one... might be able to get a better live betting opportunity if you have in-round live betting. So maybe the first two minutes of the fight, 
Yaya's landing the jab and he's moving. And it's like, oh, Trevor Peak, here we go again. But like the fight will divulge into a scrap at some point, And I want Trevor Peak in the scrap. Uh, yeah, the under one and a half is basically a pick em. I like that. Um, peak by KO around plus 120. It's obviously early in the week. There aren't too many props open for that, but I like that. P- official prediction is peak by by running hammer fists. He'll just be running it's forward, possible. just throwing hammers like he is wont to do. I don't think... How do you prepare for Trevor Peak? He's just going to bring a certain... And I was on Mariscal, and you were pretty tilted, frankly, on this show. You are very angry at me, and you were getting... But it it really came down to, like, the one knockout loss on Mariscal's record. I went back, watched that fight, and it was a horrible stoppage. I was just like, this guy can take damage. He's in, you know, training with guys like Justin Gaethje on the daily. It's like, what type of... You know, that's a perfect kind of you know, a little bit more organized chaos uh, training partner. But it's like, I think he's going to be ready for what Trevor Peak brings to the party here. And he was. But, um, yeah, the UFC knows that they've got, like, a fan favorite here with Trevor Peak. This seems like a decent little bounce back opportunity. So I'm not surprised that it went from minus 130 to minus 160. I don't expect it to go too, too far. He obviously is still a work in progress, but... um, yeah, peak. It's Trevor Peak fight week, baby. Peak by KO. Let's go. Moving on down, we got Javid Basharat taking on Victor Henry. Minus five sixty for Basharat, plus four ten for Henry. Who you got here? Yeah, so so this is a very interesting fight. I'm huge on both Basharat brothers. So I'm gonna ride them for the foreseeable future. And again, Javid Basharat is gonna be the play here. But Victor Henry presents a whole lot of problems. First and foremost, the guy can wrestle, man. He's got some pretty solid wrestling. He comes from the CSW camp over in California. Josh Barnett, bunch of catches, catch can wrestlers. The guy's fairly good. Shows 79% takedown defense in the UFC. And interestingly enough, everybody has taken him down. But uh, Rowney Barcello, seven-time member of the National Brazilian Wrestling Team, took him down one on seven attempts. Javela Sunsau took him down two on like eight attempts. And Tony Gravely took him down three times on 17 attempts. So he's stuffing more takedowns than than not, is the bottom line. And for Basharat, Basharat can take him down. And I think Basharat will take him down. But I don't know if Basharat's just going to stick to a wrestling, wrestling-heavy game plan like that and shoot 10 takedowns. I think he'll probably use his striking, try to bait him forward, try to get him to overexert himself or open himself up, and then shoot the takedown. Once he gets under the ground, I think he'll have some success. I think his grappling is very strong, very good on top. Of course, Jake Shields working with them in Las Vegas, and it's very high in the kid's grappling. So am I. It's being able to mix in that wrestling. The thing with Basharat and his brothers the same way is they're both extremely talented, and fools like me will jump behind them, and that's what we do. But it's like they haven't really been tested, so you don't know how good they are. You're making an assumption of how good they could be. Same thing with a Muhammad Makayev or a Hamzat Chemaev. There's a lot of guessing of you think they could be this great. But the bottom line with Javid Basharat is he's struggled in pretty much all of his fights, at least at some point, right? Um, the Tony Gravely fight. Tony Gravely took him down twice. His last fight with Matus Mandanka, who, by the way, mm. showed to be a fraud, Horrible. looked absolutely abysmal. And I mean abysmal. At 125 pounds, like against Nate Maness. Nate Maness absolutely smoked him. Mendonca, not good. Mendonca took Javid Basharat down twice and actually looked decent in the fight against him. And he had taken that fight on about two weeks' notice up a weight class. So, how good is Javid Basharat? I think very good. I honestly think very good. 
but he hasn't proven it. And so when you get betting these big price tags, like it's it, it's a little bit worrisome because Victor Henry's fought a high level of competition, but both in the UFC, but before the UFC, he was like 34 years old when he signed to the UFC and already fought a career worth of dope guys. He already went to Japan and won a King of Pancras title. He was already the man to some level. He was tough. Comes to the UFC, upsets Ronnie Barcellos, fights Rafaela uh, Sunsa, which is a tough fight, then his last head against Tony Gravely. More impressive is he landed 181 against Ronnie Barcellos. He landed 154 in his last fight against Tony Gravely. He's got super high volume, decent takedown defense, makes it a scrap, is unbelievably durable and tough to put away. So what you get in these fights is close subjective fights that probably going to go the 15 minutes, right? They both might have a few takedowns. Javi might get a few more, but Henry might land a few more strikes. And in Las Vegas, if they're going with damage over positional ground strikes, I don't know, man, it's dicey. Even over there, it's dicey. And I don't think anybody's the hometown guy. I don't think anybody's getting some wonky lean, but I don't want to bet this kind of price tag knowing the fight will be a lot closer than what this you know is perceived to be is mm-hmm. the bottom line. So Basharat, because I think he's a little bit cleaner, a little bit faster, and I think the mixing in of the takedown will ultimately do it. But I, I don't love it. I don't love it because the money line's kind of scaring me a bit. Yeah. I, I bet uh, Basharat, last time out, inside the distance against uh, against Mendonca. You know, like that that little gif of like the uh, PTSD dog. He's like looking at cupcakes and just like flashbacks. I had like oh, yeah. those flashbacks watching Nate Maness because I was just like, I knew this guy was like pretty overrated. And like Javid just never really, he never really gets his opponent. Like he doesn't, he fights smart, I suppose, but it's like he doesn't really put his, like, you know, pedal to the metal to get opponents out of there. And you brought up a lot of good points with uh, with Victor Henry, you know, with having half-decent wrestling, takedown defense, training with some good guys. Um, I don't know. I think that at this price, it's pretty clearly a dog or pass type of situation. Um, plus 425, Victor Henry. I mean, the guy put up 151 or 150 significant strikes, over 150 50 significant strikes twice already in the in the UFC. Uh, 154 against Tony Gravely, 181 against Rowney Barcellos. Barcellos was supposed to come in there and utilize his wrestling to make that or to make that fight a lot easier on himself. He wasn't really able to do it. It's like when people have been able to take him down, they haven't been able to like really hold him down for sustained periods of time. I don't know. I think this fight becomes a little bit more difficult than this line suggests. I think it's a very, very clear dogger pass. So Victor Henry will be my pick here. Moving on down. This one makes me sick. We got Cedric Dumas taking on Abu Azetar. Minus 230 for Cedric Dumas. Plus 200 for Azetar. What are your thoughts here, Cody? Because I have some, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I honestly don't have any like real strong lean, and I do want to retape this one again just to make sure uh, you know you know what you're getting yourself into. But like, yeah, outside of some shady has decision, and I don't honestly think it's even going to go the 15 minutes. But I just think Cedric Dumas is doing more with where he's at. I think the guy is very much Cedric dumbass. We call him that pretty much every time. He's got a very checkered personal life, which again I'm not going to get into, but doesn't seem like my kind of guy. But in terms of like the fighting, yeah, he's very long. He's a pretty athletic guy. He's young and he's green and he's making a ton of mistakes. But if a guy like that was to train, a guy like that was to like surround himself with some decent people, 
he's actually going to get decent. And I think that's what he's doing. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's cleaned his life up and he's trying to make best use of his second chance. But wins the contender series and everyone loves the guy. Guillotine choke, 47 seconds. He's everyone's baby. That fight with Josh Fram, he's a fraud. The guy can't wrestle. He's got no get-up game. Uh, his striking is non-existent. He tires out. He gets choked out in the second round. It's literally like not one single thing in that fight went right for him. And then it's his post-fight comments, which were like, I don't mind this guy, fight-wise. He's like, man, Josh Fram knows I beat him 9 out of 10 times. <laughs> like, bro, you just lost pretty much every exchange in this fight. You got taken down. You got grappled. Like, he beat you pillar to post. In what world do you win that fight 9 out of 10 times? But that's fake confidence, but it's still confidence. He believes. He believes Paul Shaughnessy. And shit, that's good enough for me. So the Cody Brunridge fight, yeah, to me, it's much of the same. It's like, I think he's getting a little bit better. He's getting a little bit better. He's been working on his wrestling as he got had gotten taken down by Josh Frem. And Cody Brunridge also took him down. But Brunridge is one of these guys that's not landing much with it. He just got the takedowns, held on to him. Dumas got up. Dumas didn't really land much either because they're clinched up. And it was a really bad fight. Don't get me wrong. It's a bad fight. But, like, Brunridge has got some collegiate wrestling. Brunridge has got half a dozen fights in the UFC. Brunridge has fought a bunch of guys better than Dumas. And yet, Dumas looked vastly better from the Frem fight to this one. So I think he's still only like 28, 29 years old. There are some improvements coming here. Very athletic, capable of putting things together. It's just up to him how far he's going to take it. Minus 220 as a price tag? Now nah, you don't like it because the guy's not very intelligent and he's a work in progress. It's like there's a whole bunch of holes in his game, which he's trying to fix up and he's trying to shore up, but there's still problems. Abu Azetar, he's got a lot of money. He's friends with a lot of people who have a lot of money. Probably doesn't really need to fight does it because he wants to and the ufc tries to match him up accordingly they try to give him up winnable fights this is most certainly a winnable fight the thing is is that he's 36 years old he fights once a year at best he's had a pile of injuries he's coming off a loss it's almost three years ago and uh he got outstruck 141 to 108 got knocked out with four seconds left in the fight and i watched that fight and i had money on azitar because i'm like all he needs to do is get to decision and they won't rob him. Those are a lot of powerful people. He just needs to get to decision and they'll, he'll be fine. And like he's running on fumes, Paul. The first round, he's got a big of a clubbing right hand. He's a very strong physical guy, has some judo, has some de-scrappling. Taking him down, difficult, especially in that first round. Him taking you down again, he'll muscle it, but he is a physically strong guy. The longer the fights take place, the cardio is not there. And because he's not fighting multiple times a year, because he's probably not in the gym full time, because he's 36 years old, 37 years old, the cardio is not catching up. So Barrio just made it a dog fight. And to Azitar's credit, he landed 108 significant strikes, but it took its toll on him. He gassed out. In gassing out, he, he starts to take a licking. And with four seconds left, he can't even last to get to the decision. Best they could have done for him is a, you know, what, a draw? Because... It was a 10-8 third round. At least that's where it was trending. So to take three years off after that, more injuries, more time off, a little bit older. Now the UFC is coming to Abu Dhabi. It makes sense to have Azetar on the card. If he wants to compete, if he's contacted them, this is the card. Definitely, hey, get ready for this one. So no doubt, I think he'll be in okay shape. I just don't know what okay shape for him in 2023 really entails anymore. So with Dumas, Dumas not good. And again, Azitar probably can take him down. My worry there is that if Azitar comes in with a wrestling game plan, he's going to gas him. He's going to take him down in the first. He's going to try to hold on position. The second round, he'll start to tire. He'll whiff on a takedown or two. Dumas will land some shots in the third round. He's running on fumes again. 
Dumas takes over. The second thing is if he does not intend on wrestling, he could go out there and land some volume on Dumas, but he's fighting a younger, faster, sharper, more athletic guy that could just stay to the outside and pick him off at range. So Azitar is a live underdog, but it would be purely speculative. Like, what do, you, what do you really know about what he's up to? What do you really know about how he can perform in a second and a third round? It's more so, eh, he's not even at home, but like he's going to have some support and he's got a lot of money. And then that's about it. There's not a whole lot going his way. I like him and I've, I've enjoyed him in the past. I just, I don't know. He'd, he'd really have to come out here and reinvent himself. And I, <laughs> I don't see that happening. Dumas, not that good. Shouldn't be a minus 220. But if he's made even a little bit of improvements from his last two fights, and here's a guy that makes improvements seemingly always every fight. If he can stick to that, I, th- I think he can pull it off. 220, though, I think he could pull it off. Is not confident enough. But I don't have enough confidence to just dog or pass on this one. So we'll take the favorite. Just don't like it. Expect Dumas to be lower on the list of picks. Yeah, I... I- played Dumas as a decent size underdog against Cody Brundage because Cody Brundage is just, you know, he'll just jump guillotine and give you top control constantly. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's just the Cody Brundage experience. The biggest pro like, you know, me, I love, I love betting underdogs, but yeah, three year layoff for Abu Azatar. He's 37 years old. He's going to give Dumas some problems in round one for sure. Like he's, it's going to be, Pretty risky business there. Um, and then we're over, and that this fight was supposed to take place. And here's like maybe conspiracy theories going on in my brain here, Cody, allegedly. But like this fight was supposed to take place in Vegas. And then all of a sudden, you know, Captain Morocco, he's gonna have a lot of his very, very wealthy friends in attendance here. They put it on the Abu Dhabi card. And I don't know. Something just stinks about this one to me. Um, I could I could see Abu pulling off the upset here, and particularly at this price, I think it's pretty pretty clearly a dogger pass. Like I, I bet Dumas because he was the underdog against Cody Brundage. I know Co- Cody Brundage makes lots of mistakes and stuff, but I don't know, man. Minus two thirty. It's like, am I going to bet this guy seventy percent winner against really too many guys? On the UFC roster? Yeah, probably not. But yeah, it's really hard to pull the trigger on Abu because of that massive layoff. He's obviously longer in the tooth. Has this guy been trained? I have no idea about all of these. It's a bit of a shot in the dark, but I'm going to call it a dogger pass. I'm going to pick Abu as Atar. Uh, not too confident, but not even sure I'll actually pull the trigger from a betting perspective. But I just can't do dumbass uh, minus 230. Just can't do it. Won't do it. Moving on down, we've got Anshul Jubilee taking on Mike Breeden, minus 335 for Jubilee, plus 260 for Breeden. Who you got? Okay, so the last time Breeden fought, it was like why uh, we were, were, I don't know, it's hard to explain. The last time Breeden fought was Terrence McKinney, and I made some excellent points for like why Breeden could maybe beat Terrence McKinney. McKinney front runner. Breeden got a stick in it long enough, and McKean just went out there and just blew the brakes off him. And Breeden was like a plus 500 underdog. He was a massive underdog. I was chasing a bit of value, and he absolutely got decimated. So now I have to sit here with egg on my face and make up a bunch of good Mike Breeden points again, knowing that it's like, yeah, there are limitations to this. But in the same breath, we mentioned on McKinney's breakdown last week, he's part of the 11. That's my gang gang now. But we mentioned it's like McKinney will hit you and he will hit you hard. And if you're a hittable type guy, you're going to get knocked out. If you can evade, 
you know, not going to go good. And he smashed Marat the same way, right? So we know who McKinney is. Breeden was just unable to avoid the shots. That's fine. So why would we possibly take Mike Breeden again? A couple reasons. One, massive price tag. Two, this one's a lot about perspective, right? And what one guy looks really, really bad. And one guy somehow looks really good. But the guy that looks really good is actually, in fact, really bad. And the guy who looks really bad is, in fact, pretty bad, but not really bad. They're both bad. And this money line just doesn't make any sense. So let's talk about let's talk about uh, Jubilee for starter. I think he's the first fighter ever from India to make it to the UFC's roster. He not no wins that should have gotten him on the UFC roster. Simply, there was a road to UFC tournament. So this guy joins the UF road to UFC tournament where he takes on Chung Po Kim in the first round of said tournament. He doesn't look overly good. He got taken down four times and he got outstruck 100 to 97. Both these guys are very low level. Both these guys are nowhere near the quality of what should be expected of a UFC-type fighter. It's a thrilling back-and-forth fight. He got taken down four times. He barely squeaks by him by split decision to get to these finals. And then in the finals, which is a UFC fight, he gets this uh, Jaco Saragi, who's awful. He's aw- That's the bottom line, dude. He's Indonesian, okay? He has no ground game. He has Diaz-type striking, which is he stands flat-footed with his hands down and tries to goat you into coming and throwing down. He tried to throw down, but he's got no skills. He would never win a fight in the UFC. Dana had the audacity to say to, to Torrance Finney on the Contender Series, I would do you a great disservice by bringing you to the UFC. You need to go acquire some other skills. And yet these guys are in the UFC. It's sh- shocking to me. Shocking to me. So he beats Jericho, and, and really not that good of a performance. You may say, oh, he's a wrestler. He got two takedowns. But he'd given up four in the fight before. Not a wrestler. Not a striker. Not all that athletic. 29 years old. I don't think he's all that good. Is the bottom line. I don't think he's all that good. But he's undefeated. And he's 1-0 in the UFC. I'll tell you something. Breeden's losses on the Contender Series, it was Anthony Romero. In the UFC, it's Alex Hernandez, Natan Levy, and Terrence McKinney. Which one of you, those guys do you think Jubilee wins one exchange over? Wins one round over? Gets out of one round against. None. Zero. Nil. Nada. So it's easy to say Breeden has a shitty looking record and loses all the time because he's fighting really good guys. If he fights Jubilee's guys, he's probably undefeated. If Jubilee fights his guys, he's probably winless. You know what I'm saying? There's like there's a level there. And then and then it's like, well, he's getting smoked by those guys. Okay, well, the Romero fight, he loses the first two rounds. He hurts his leg in the second round, and yet he marches forward, shows some heart, shows some grit, lands 60 significant strikes, wins the third round. The Alexander Hernandez fight, he gets washed out of there. The Natan Levy fight, he got taken down nine times. Scrambles, gets back up, makes him work. Outlands Natan Levy 104-92 and mixed in three takedowns of his own in that fight. Natan Levy is... Do you want to compare Natan Levy's wrestling to Jubilee's wrestling? There's nothing to compare there. Natan Levy is a far in a better way wrestling. Far in a better way. And what I saw here is Breeding got three takedowns of his own, landed 104 significant strikes, Went a hard 15 minutes and was in it. And then he gets smoked by Terrence McKinney, which like tends to happen to people. So at what point is this guy like a four to one underdog to Jubilee? At what point, a point where was that established? Who determined that one? And based on what? But I think it's like you said it and then money comes in. Nobody gives a shit about breed and they, they topology cap these fights and oh, I like this guy, I like that guy, blah, blah, blah. That's the end of it. And that's fair. That's fair. Breeden looks bad on paper, so take the other guy. But, like, at what point did this money line get to this point, dude? Because it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I get Breeden just got smoked by Terrence McKinney, but it's Terrence McKinney. And so he also got smoked by Anthony Hernandez, but 
sorry, not Anthony Hernandez, Alex Hernandez, but it's Alex Hernandez. Dude smoked Benil Darius from 47 seconds. Jubilee doesn't got that kind of power. So if he does not knock out Breeden in the first round, he's going to have to fight him likely for 15. And in Breeden's fight with Romero, he's coming on strong. His fight with Natan Levy, he's coming on strong. He showed in those fights his wrestling is probably better than Jubilee's. If he can stuff a few takedowns along the way, great. If not, throw the volume. Land the 104 you did against Natan Levy. Mix in those takedowns. That exact same performance, here, he gets it. And if this thing gets to decision... Who's looking to screw the American guy versus the India guy? I don't think anybody. I think it's going to be a who won this fight is going to determine it. I think Mike Breeden has enough of a chance to win the fight. I will take this plus money price tag. Who am I to disagree with you after that breakdown? I mean, yeah, you kind of go through it. And it's like Jubilee showed off great wrestling in the Jekasaragi fight. But on the road to the UFC, he was taken down four times. Um, against his Korean counterpart in that fight. Super, super razor close, split decision. He gets taken down four times. He actually loses in significant strikes, but gets the, gets the nod. And then I believe, like, his, I believe his, like, semifinal opponent, like, missed weight or something like that. And, like, that got him into the finals against Saragi. It was, like, a weird kind of situation like that. Um, yeah, he's 7-0, and but it's like, has he really been tested? Breeden looks super, super ugly. But yeah, I haven't really seen anything from Jubilee that would lead me to believe that he's like got like crazy, crazy knockout ability like a Terrence McKinney. And yeah, like that that McKinney fight is kind of unfair. The, the Alexander Hernandez fight, a little bit unfair. Those guys can absolutely crack, particularly early in the fight. Um, the Natan Levy fights, like this could get... Really, really greasy for Jubilee, particularly if Breeden ends up being the better wrestler of the two of these guys in this fight. So I'm with you. Breeden Moneyline. I mean, your PRP is going to pay. I mean, you may actually put all of the books out of business if you hit it this week, buddy. You're starting to add some plus 260 underdogs to it. Yeah, yeah. The favorites are big-ass favorites, but the underdogs are big underdogs. And again, who is going to shit in the apple pie this week? If I had Jubilee on – what is he? He's a minus 400. Am I supposed to put him on my second ticket? Yeah. Is that what would be implied? Is he second ticket material? (laughs) No. No. Breeden might be the PRP pick. I don't know how we'll shake it out. Yeah. But Breeden is the pick. All right, we have uh, Nathaniel Wood taking on Muhammad Naimov. Minus 330 for Wood, plus 270 for Naimov. Who you got? Love that this fight's early because Nathaniel Wood is the pick, but he could be the pie shitter. I love this kid, what he brings to the table in terms of his speed. He's got nasty striking, excellent scrambles. Wrestling, of course, is something he's worked on. He was like the biggest bantamweight on the roster. Now he's settling into, you know, 145 pounds. He's a, he's a big guy, strong, and he's still, you know, young enough. I like Nathaniel Wood. I like him quite some bit. The problem with Nathaniel Wood seems to be, he's not that durable, man. He gets hit and he gets hurt. And it's like a routine thing. It's becoming a routine thing. Now the blame at 35 was this guy's cutting like a scary amount of weight to get to 135. So it's a little bit understood that if he gets hit, Brain doesn't have that that same level of hydration. He could get knocked out. It's understood, right? But him at 45, it's like the guys hit harder. It's a problem. You're, you know, trying to avoid something by moving up a weight class, but you run into an entirely different set of issues and problems. And that's kind of the thing with Nathaniel Wood is that, like, he, he gets hit, he gets hurt. So everyone remembers the Dodson fight. Knocked out 16 seconds into the third round. 
But it's that last fight with Andre Feely, where it's like Feely's regarded as kind of a light puncher. <laughs> He's not a big knockout guy. He doesn't have a ton of wins by knockout. He generally likes to set up that right hand with the jab. It's kind of one, two, one, two. He'll throw a high kick, something like that could land and do some damage. But in terms of him rocking you, cold cocking you with one shot and, and hurting you, it's not really his expertise. And yet against Nathaniel Wood, who had a tremendous amount of money on it. <laughs> It was the greasiest fight, Paul, because even though he's outworking Andre Feely and he's landing one, two, three at a time, the Feely shots are heavier. The Feely shots are doing more damage, and it's a close fight. It's a very close fight. I felt like Nathaniel Wood dug deep in the third round and pulled it out, but there's no doubt about it that he gets rocked bad in the first round, dropped in the first round, and rocked again bad in the second round. Now, that was his first fight up the weight class. All of a sudden, you're not fighting Casey Kinney. You can't walk through... 123 significant strikes. Charles Rosa landed 51 significant strikes. Charles Jourdain, 86. And for the record, Charles Jourdain rocked him a bunch of times, but he relied on the wrestling. The wrestling's been able to get him out of harm's way because even though he's a fine striker, and he is an excellent striker, defensively, he's not great, but it's the chin. It's like the ones that get through seem to do a ton of damage. So a lot of times what you're noticing now is like a guy might be winning three minutes of the round, three and a half minutes of the round, but like late in the round, that one shot kind of causes him to stiffen up a little bit, or that one shot seems to have the impact. And even though you're landing superior volume, you'll end up losing the round. And I feel like Nathaniel Wood, he's going to run into one or two problems. Either he's going to get cold cock and get knocked out, or he's going to get cocked. And all that good work is going to be erased from the round because the more meaningful shot was delivered by the opponent. So when I think about Muhammad Namov, I think Nathaniel Wood's got this guy beat pretty well across the map he's faster than him he's a better wrestler than him he's got better striking than him he's got better volume than him he beats this guy wherever need be this guy lost to colin anglin on the contender series mm -hmm. you got you got a computer in front of you go ahead and click on colin anglin for a second let me know what the hell he's been up to tell you what happened got a contract went to the ufc lost all of his fights in the ufc yeah. got cut went to the regional scene and lost all of his fights in the regional scene he was not good he was never good and yet that one bit of success that Colin England had was, was when he went out there and, and beat him. And it's crazy to me. Namov, not good. So the Namov gets Jamie Malarkey, and he's a 4-1 to underdog, and everyone's expecting him to lose, myself included. Don't think he's that good. But he's from Tajikistan, and they are very, very physically strong. Him and Wayne Gafarov, same thing. If he plants that right hand on your head, it's going to be a problem. And Jamie Malarkey, similar to Nathaniel Wood, in that He's actually fairly skilled. He's far more skilled than Neymar, but he doesn't have a great chin. And as soon as he detonated one, he just crumpled him. So I'm picking Nathaniel Wood. I'm expecting Nathaniel Wood to go out there and outclass this man. He's faster than him. He's a better striker. Mixes in the wrestling. But that Jamie Malarkey fight is definitely in the back of my mind because Malarkey, just like Wood, his durability is not great. He relies on being gritty and fighting these guys and going a hard 15 minutes, but his body doesn't necessarily respond with it. And with Nathaniel Wood going up the weight class, like Namov's <laughs> going to be a physically strong guy. So the pick is Wood, but yeah, I'm a little bit worried. And again, I'm glad that it's early because if my tickets were to get burnt up, I probably would rebuild. Um, I'm hoping I don't have to. I'm just hoping that Wood gets the job done and we can just cruise past this one but um durability durability is always a question right you like to bank on those guys you know can take a shot or two because it's a fist fight they may be required to take a shot or yep. two and i think nathaniel wood can but it better not be the right one or two because namov's got a lot of power and nathaniel wood leaves a little to be desired so wood's the pick just don't love it for the kind of money line you're getting yeah wood's kind of he's the pick for me i think the best bet on the board 
in this fight though is Naimov by KO, which is like plus six hundred. Um, and that's it's early live. in the week. There may be better options later, just because of the fact that yeah, one Wood used to fight at one thirty-five. He always kind of struggled to make that weight class. He's up at one forty-five. We saw uh, Muhammad Naimov's uh, power translate at one fifty-five last time out against yeah. Malarkey. Yeah. So he's a little bit bigger. The reach isn't too far off, but he's considerably taller. Coming back down to 145. 145 is where he took the loss against Anglin. This guy seems very, very erratic, kind of all over the place. It's like, obviously, he can land the big one. But I feel like Wood, skill for skill, you, you summed it up pretty well. Skill, skill, skill for skill, it's not really all that close. Like I think the wrestling could be leaned on by, uh, by Wood here. Um, he vo- his volume is like leaps and bounds more than anything I expect from um, from Naimov. I, I feel like Naimov's path to victory here is pretty KO or bust. Um, six to one doesn't seem too crazy. There may be better options as the week goes along because nobody's really pulling the trigger on it. They see why Nathaniel Wood should be the favorite here. I guess he'll be my quote unquote pick, but. Uh, I may throw a little sprinkle because I'm a degenerate on Naimov KO just because the malarkey one cost me dearly as well. I want to get that back by digging <laughs> myself into a bigger hole. All right, we got two quick, two more fights here to break down quickly. We got Dudakova taking on Frey minus 600, which I believe is tied for the biggest favorite on the card currently. For Dudakova, Jinyu Frey can be had for plus 425. Takedowns for Dudakova should be there early often. Um, Obviously, it's a big step up in competition in terms of experience, but I've seen enough at this point that I feel like we've seen the the best of Jinyu Frey at this point. The line is wild. I know CF dot model, all that type of stuff, but... um, this is Dudikov was the girl on like she like broke her arm on like contender series right and still like fought through it. Am I thinking of the she, right girl? She broke in her last fight it was her UFC debut. Estela Nunes. She just tossed Estela Nunes to the ground and broke her arm. Oh yeah, sorry, sweet. my bad. It was sweet. It was totally fluky and the shittiest takedown I've ever seen. But it broke the girl's arm. So it's all about results, Paul Shaughnessy. It's all about results. Um, do you have a do you have a firm hard take here? Are you taking the underdog in Jin Yu Frey, or do you think uh Dudakova is the goods? Yeah, like I don't mind taking some juicy underdogs here and there. Jin Yu Frey is one. I just don't know if I got the cojones for that one. Dudakova is not very good. She's super young. She's born in 1999, so like what, 24 years old. But she's very green, man. Very, very green. And she's one-dimensional. She needs to rely on the wrestling. I think she's got good size for the division. I think she's good at leaning on her opponents. And on the contender series against Maria Silva, she looked decent. She got the four takedowns. Again, physically strong. I didn't think it was enough to get a contract, but Dana says he sees something in her and he likes her and she's young. She's definitely strong and physical, but they're missing a lot of, lot of skills that she still needs to kind of catch up on. So... She landed the four takedowns, but she landed 19 significant strikes, okay? So, again, someone with no real ground and pound, no real threat of damage or volume, and if she's not getting the submission, then how is she finishing these fights? Takedowns is one thing, but it's not enough to necessarily win. And as Pat would tell you with the CF dot model, if it's going to go 15 minutes, it's going to be close and competitive. You don't want to bet these minus 500 fights. It's going to be close and competitive, right? 
Anyways, the Estela Nunes fight, it looks good because she got the first round knockout due to a broken arm, but you watch the takedown and it's off. I don't even know what in her brain would have been like, this is the one. This is the one. It worked. So what the hell do I know? But like, oh shit, dude. She's probably not that good of a wrestler. She's probably just a better wrestler than the girl she's been fighting. And because she's big and strong, she can wrangle them to the ground. Jinyu Frey's a natural 105er. So that game plan might very might very well work. And she's not looking all that good lately. Uh, I think she's 37, 38 years old now. Probably seen better days. She's getting out muscle. Their last fight with Elise Reed, she got the three takedowns and then just got mopped up by Elise Reed in the striking exchanges. Ends up losing to Reed, which is a really bad look. Before that with Pollyanna Vienna, knocked out in 47 seconds. So now her durability is in question. Her striking is clearly not as... It used to be okay, a lot of one and done, a lot of like one twos, one twos, not a whole lot of volume, but she used to be an accurate pinpoint striker, but that seems to have evaded her. The durability is certainly not there anymore. The wrestling, which she tried to lean on in her last fight against Elise Reed, wasn't enough to beat Elise Reed of all people. So like, where does she excel? Got to be DJ Black Belt, all good stuff, but not enough. Her fight with Vanessa Demopoulos, it was a robbery. Like Vanessa Demopoulos didn't win that fight. Vanessa Demopoulos doesn't seem to win any fight, no. but... The judges really like her, probably because she gave him a lap dance in the back room of, vet, of a VIP lounge one time, and uh, you don't want her to tell your wife or something like that. She wins fights. She wins fights so that she can jump in the commentator's arms. I, I don't know that she won that fight, but even if Jin Frey would have gotten the decision, it was still a bad fight, man. She still got outstruck by Vanessa Demopoulos and got taken down by Vanessa Demopoulos, which is all bad stuff. So I, I do think Dudakova probably goes in there, wrangles her to the ground, Spends time up on top. The reason why I don't love it is let's say she does exactly that. She takes her down. But she doesn't have a whole lot of striking. She doesn't have a uh, There's not a whole lot of volume. There's not a whole lot of ground and pound. So she can take her down. But then what? Hang out on top? Jinyu Frey does have the block belt. So maybe she can defensively stay in positions. Maybe she can throw up some submissions. Maybe she can just make her work and survive and make her work. And then when the fight does get back up standing, Jinyu Frey striking ain't what it used to be. But it's still way better than Dudakova's. So she's like, she can win some striking exchanges on uh, standing. And if she can stuff a takedown or two, move laterally, cause her to come to you, there's a lot you could expose with due to COVID. Now, I am picking her, but like, I would like her to be like minus 165, mm-hmm. minus 185. Wild. Two to one would be like the absolute most that I would personally cap this so thing you, at. You think so when value. I, when I see this, yeah, a value side of you is like, just take the dog, dude, just take the dog. But yeah. like, that's not how I make my picks. I don't yeah. care if I think the guy wins 51% of the time, then that's better than 49. That's well, where that's I'll crazy. take. wins. I just, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. The value on this <laughs> is clearly on Frey. I just can't do it, dude. I, I can't do it. Can't my do my it. thing here with like Frey is just like, I've taken a whole, like I plan to bet a whole bunch of underdogs here. So it's like, do I really need to spam one more into the mix? I don't yeah. know. I suppose I'll wait for weigh-ins. I'm going to pick Dudikova for now. I think she does get the the takedowns. But, yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've been taking enough underdogs. It's just like, do I really force my hand on this one? I don't know. All right. And quickly, we got uh, the debut. Somebody that everyone's kind of, you know, everyone in the know is looking forward to. We got the one-eyed man, Shara Magomedov, taking on Bruno Silva. Tough debut. Tough debut for Shara Magomedov. Minus 230 favor mm. for him. Bruno Silva can be had for plus 200. It ain't no, like, this is kind of, you know, 
normal territory for Bruno Silva, who spent a lot of time in Russia fighting a, a bunch of tough Russians where he was the underdog, kind of got brought in, take on guys very much like Shara Megamedov. Megamedov, he's got really quick, crisp striking on the feet, but I've seen him get taken down by like pretty low level of competition before. I don't know. This fight makes me like... I, I think he's a very, very good prospect. It's a good division for him because there's not too many elite wrestlers in middleweight, at least right now. I mean, I guess Chemayev and Usman just entered the fold, so you added a couple extra uh, decent wrestlers into the mix right here. But I don't know. Bruno Silva, I, I went back, watched the, the, the Pereira fight, and it's like, is Magomedov going to... Is his striking on the level of Pereira? If Bruno Silva can kind of make this ugly, maybe sing, or get a couple takedowns, I don't know. I think there's got kind of a p- potential for another uh, for another live underdog spot with uh, with Bruno Silva here. He's a bit inconsistent, um, but yeah, unlike some of that regional tape, it's like I really just didn't see. Much wrestling to speak of there. I see quick, fast, precise striking on the feet, but when uh, things can get a little bit greasy, and I would imagine Bruno's gonna not gonna just hang out at range and exp- and, and have a kickboxing match here. It'd be kind of like what he did against Pereira, which was a lot closer and was kind of a difficult fight for Pereira in his development. Um. I guess I'll pick Bruno Silva here. I'm picking way too many dogs, Cody. This is not going to end well, but uh, is what it is. Bruno Silva for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Shara Putin Nagamedov. But yeah, at the same time, I understand why there's value on the underdog in Bruno Silva. He's got the experience. He's fought in the UFC. He's fought in some good guys. He went to, de- to decision in a competitive decision, like you said, against a former champion, Alex Pereira. And he's taking on a guy who's making his UFC debut. And he has one eye. Like, that can't be overstated. He is missing one. The eye's there, but it has zero vision in it. So, we just, you know, my boy Latana Chibuzi won a fight. He can't hear at all. Here's the difference. Latana Chibuzi was born deaf. He doesn't know what sound is. So, it it never hindered him because it was never part of his life. It's kind of like Bane and Batman. He's like, he's born in the dark. And by the time he's seen the light, he's already an adult. It was nothing more than a nuisance to him. Magomedov had both eyes. He lost his eye in 2019 in a training accident in Thailand, where similar to Mike Winklejohn, who you'll see Mike Winklejohn's going to mess up eye, it's like you catch a toe and it slices the eyeball. He had eight major surgeries. He retired from the sport, took two full years off. And then at some point it was like, I'm just going to fight with one eye. Now he's back fighting with one eye. He fought a bunch of modified rules fights in Asia because they catered to him. Hey, this guy's got one eye. Let's have him come in and do his thing. But... You can't overstate how much is like he had full vision and now he only has partial vision and now he needs to work around that. Bisbing is the same way. Michael Bisbing had both eyes. Michael Bisbing got one kind of damaged off that high kick from Vitor Belfort. It started to regress. He won a world championship with limited vision, although it was getting blurry. And now the vision is gone. That's what happens. It starts out. You can see something, some shades, a little bit, then it's gone. And then the depth's gone. And I'm sure you guys have heard, wow, we got a lot of new fans nowadays. I'm sure you guys heard me say the Michael Bisming story, right? He's, he's shooting Triple X in Toronto because it was the remake, piece of crap remake. Conor McGregor was supposed to be in it. Conor McGregor did something else and like pulled out. And so they were just like, oh, we need a European UFC star. Bam, Bisming's the guy. Shooting takes place in Toronto. He spends like three weeks in Toronto. 
uh, Neil Forrester and all them, they're all buddies with him. So it's like, let's go with Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping smoking a cig outside of a nightclub and he spits off the side right onto some chick's back. And everyone's like, dude, why would you do that? He didn't even see the girl there. There's no depth perception. The eye's not there. You can move, right? You can see if you were to turn your head, but it's not there. Now, this guy with limited vision, almost no vision at that point, ended up knocking out Luke Rockhold and winning a world title after that. Only fought twice more after. I think he fought Dan Henderson, fought GSP. That was the end of his career. So the writing's on the wall. Magomedov, he's 29 years old. His career is actually just getting back going. So how do you adjust to that? And now you're going to tell me he's a two and a half to one favorite or Bruno Silva, who, as you mentioned, has wins over multiple Russians, fought in Russia almost exclusively for almost three years. He's got a massive reach, or got like good frame, not super tall, but like, again, throws just massive hammers. And you're not going to see those hammers coming from one side. I would be very tempted, Paul, very tempted. So I'm not, I, I'm, if you got value on that one, I'm not discrediting it. But uh, I like Sharon Magomedov. I believe there's something in him. And so you called him the one-eye man, but I call him the one-eye samurai. I think he's going to do what he's got to do here. I think he's got the better cardio, and to me, that's the difference maker. Bruno Silva is a one-and-done guy. Look at his wins. Knocks out Wellington Tournament first round. Knocks out Jordan Wright in the first round. Knocked out Brad Tavares in the first round. How he didn't knock out Andrew Sanchez, I don't know. But keep in mind, he lost the first two rounds, got taken down seven times, yep. and then Andrew Sanchez is perhaps the worst third-round fighter in the history of third rounds. Yep. And... uh he put him away in the third round. So, yeah, he did knock him out. It took him a little bit longer than expected. What I'm saying is that first round knockout, first round knockout, first round knockout, and lost the first two rounds against Sanchez and knocks him out in the third. That's his win condition. That's that's where he's at. Shara Magomedov, the one-eye samurai, yeah, he, he's a bit of a striker himself. I mean, the guy was living in Thailand. He's competed in a number of striking-only matches. Like, that's where he's most comfortable. And if he wants to stand and throw at Bruno, he's playing some fire. But I do think his ability to push a bit of a pace – hopefully tire him out, hopefully take him in some deeper waters. Bruno will start to shell up. His volume will start to fall off. And then Sharputin Magomedov's got to do what he's got to do. So this is not a tough debut. And I think that's what's expected. Like uh, they did no favors for, why am I forgetting his name? Yeah. He's got one arm, Nick Newell. Yep. They did Nick Newell absolutely no favors. They brought him in the contender series. They gave him Alex Munoz. It was a tough fight. They're not bringing you in for a charity case. They're going to test you. You're going to fight the best guys. And if you deserve to be here on your own merit, that's great. But he's got to overcome a disability, which is huge. I do think he can do it, but he's got a lot of proving to do in this fight. And the line doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Fools like me, we're in. But I can see people fading his ass. I can see it. I can see it. I'm just not going to be doing it personally. All right. We're just out, about out of time here. But before we go, Cody, hit him with the PRP. PRP this week, we're going to go with Islam Makachev, Kamara Uzman, dog number one, Magomed Ankalaev, Ikram Aliskarov, Sayyidur Magomedov, Tim Elliott, dog number two. We're going to go with Trevor Peak. We're going to go with Javid Basharat, Cedric Dumas. Definitely going to rewatch that one. Mike Breeden is going to be dog number three. Nathaniel Wood, <laughs> Victoria Dudakova, and uh, Shara Magomedov. So three underdogs and even money play. You know, again, similar to last week. Last week was three underdogs and two even money plays on 11 fights. So similar, not that you need a specific amount of underdogs, but the favorites are not likely going to clean up. And these favorites all look good. They're all two to one, three to one, four to one, five to one favorites. Who's going to shit in the apple pie. Hopefully the, the three uh, dogs that we're going with will come and spoil the party for those other guys. But hitting a PRP dude, you know how it is. It's 338 to one. So like hitting it consecutively, which 
strangely enough, we actually have done. Uh, Yeah, fairly unlikely, but uh, I'm just always optimistic. So let's go out. Let's make history. Let's make some money. And at the very least, if that doesn't happen, let's just hit those top two tickets and not lose any money. That's where I'll be at. But I like this card, entertainment perspective, but it looks good from a gambling perspective. And that means you're going to lose a ton of money because (laughs) that's just how things work out in this business. So uh, knock on wood, whatever's wood around here. Knock Uh, knock on on Nathaniel Wood that he doesn't get knocked out. By uh, knock by, on the by Naimov, because yeah. if he's in your PRP, yeah. like you can see it. I mean, that malarkey fight. That's yeah. It's just like it seems pretty knockout or bust for Naimov in that spot. You're not wrong. It's You're not wrong. There's one. a lot. There's a lot that certainly could go wrong. Of but uh, yeah, that's sports gambling, dude. And you know what? I'm thinking to myself. Uh, so we we hit the PRP on Saturday, yep. and I'm ah, you know how you wake up with like a euphoric high on Sunday, where you're just like. I'm the man. I don't know. You just feel really good. I'm the man. Everything you do, you're like, yeah, I'm the shit. So I'm just like, yeah, man, I'm going to watch some football with my buddies today. I'm like, I should bet some football. I was like, nah, nah. That's a gambling addiction. Just because you won some money doesn't mean you need to be betting some other sport you know nothing about. So I was like, not going to bet it. But let's see how easy it would have been to bet it. So I watch a few games and it's like uh, San Francisco is like six to one favorite or something. And they lose to like the Cleveland Browns. The Philadelphia Eagles, they were like undefeated or something. They lose to the New York Jets. Uh, the Bills, the Bills are losing six nothing going into the fourth quarter, Paul. And there was, was some disaster. other, yeah, yeah. There was some other team. They were supposed to be hot shit. Oh, Miami ended up looking good the second half, I thought, but through the first half, it's like, where did the people come up with these lines? And so it dawned on me right there. I was like, betting NFL seems impossible, and it's way easier than betting baseball. And probably easier than betting hockey, which is also least lost last night to Chicago. Chicago's yep. the worst team in the league last year. Toronto's supposed to be one of the... See what I mean? None of that adds up. MMA, that's my safe place, baby. That's my safe place. So do what these guys are capable of doing. We'll have a good time. I mean, if you hit the PRP this week, there are going to be plenty of books that are going to be like completely out of business. Because like the amount of tickets and the amount of money that you... That was added up. Like when I started doing the math, I was just like, the books had a bad time. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.